Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And this episode of Flanagan's Ecologic features Ari Matusiak. He's the founder and the CEO of Rewiring America, which claims to be the leading electrification nonprofit focused on electrifying everything in our communities. I'm delighted to have Ari on the show today. Hi, Ari. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ted. Well, thanks for being here. Where Where are you right now? Did you say in San Diego? I do. I live in San Diego. That's where I am. And have you been in San Diego all your life or is that something new? Uh, no, I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> so San Diego, <laughs> San Diego is a pretty far departure from that. Um, uh, and spend most of my adult life on the on the East Coast, but um, but enjoying being out here and um, uh, and still still uh, planning to learn how to surf. <laughs> and you're uh, yeah you're in Del Mar you said which is just gorgeous and yeah getting used to the palm trees and the and the surf is uh, it takes a while I know, but uh, it's good stuff. And what's uh, we're going to jump get pretty deep into your company works, but what are you working on this week? What's what's on the top of the docket? Uh, well, um, you know, just every every week is about trying to rewire America, and so um, so very focused on uh, right this week on uh, we're building a bunch of tools to help connect people to what we describe as their electric bank accounts that come as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act, and so really focused on uh, on making progress in that area. Well, talk about that. Let's talk right about that. I saw that on your website that you've got a, you've got a calculator for people mm -hmm. to figure out. And I, that's as far as I got, Ari. Apologize for not doing more, more research. But does that help them figure out what they're entitled to in terms of tax credits? Yes, we, we launched a, a calculator tied to the Inflation Redu Reduction Act on the day the president signed the act into law. Um, we haven't spent any money marketing that it's all been through earned media and we've had, um, a half a million households in the United States calculate their results. Um, uh, and, um, and that has been, um, sort of in a sense, not surprising people would like to know what they're eligible for. Um, and that's what the calculator does, but, um, what we are now working on is taking that a step further. Um, and we'll be releasing by the end of June um, the first version of what we call our personal electrification planning tool, which will meet a household where they are, uh, help them sort of uh, if they're thinking about replacing a furnace or wondering about getting a new car um, or uh, curious about solar or thinking about replacing their stove. Um, helping them figure out what the right answer is to that question for them, uh, for their home. Um, what the benefits are, what they're eligible for in terms of incentives at a federal, state, local, and utility level, and then connecting that one first action to a whole plan for how they can electrify um, their whole home. God, that sounds fantastic. Is he, I, I'm being totally selfish because many of my clients are commercial, but do you have a commercial, uh, commercial uh, calculator as well? No, not yet. We're really focused first on, on uh, the residential market. Now, now, what what uh, sparked your um, you know the, the genesis of this company and your obviously your career just zoomed right in on on electrification. What, why, how, how did that come about? 
Well, my, my whole career has in some form or fashion been about social impact. Um, but really it's been about the nexus of public policy decisions to unlocking markets um, that have a real time benefit in people's lives. Um, so I've always been very interested at that sort of like at that uh, nexus point. Um, uh, and, um, and I've worked across a number of issues. I've worked on affordable housing and housing, I've worked on education and healthcare um, on sort of overall sort of macroeconomic jobs and competitiveness. Um, uh, but I've always been sort of very interested in this idea of how do you um, uh, sort of work toward doing, making the right thing become self-sustaining um, and in a way that uh, that real people in real time can feel the benefit of. And so um, when I um, I was in the Obama White House for a number of years, when I left the when I left the White House, I um, started working uh, on the um, financing for renewable energy, energy efficiency improvements in people's homes and realized actually that the um, that the answer to the to sort of like the big question was electrification. If you cared about climate, you need to electrify everything. If you're gonna electrify everything, the big block sort of in the middle of that puzzle are the places where we live. Um, because there are so many machines tied up in uh, that we rely on every single day um, that we have to have a way to go about electrifying those in in sort of a in an orderly fashion, um, and that's not an orderly problem. Um, and so I've been really focused on um, on how to make that work, and both because it's incredibly important. It's sort of like a but for uh, of but for level importance to the climate, um, but also because in doing it. Uh, it delivers immediate benefits to families uh, and to communities. Um, and so that is uh, the kind of win-win that I've um, been focused on my whole life. Yeah, boy, boy, exciting. I, I want to talk about a number of those things that you brought up, the Obama experience, your your time at Renovate. But let's go, let's go all the way back for the sake of the listeners. Born and raised where? Uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Went to university, Brown University. What drew you out to Brown University in the good town of Providence? Um, well, at the time, you read uh, something called the Fisk College Guide, and I really liked the description of Brown. Um, and uh, and so it just ended up being kind of a, I didn't know anything about college or the East Coast or any of it, but I wanted to try something new, and it worked out. It worked out. It worked out. What was what was what was the early what were your early interests when you were around that age? Were you uh, was it sports? Was it a travel? What were you doing? What was your thing? Well, I've always been interested in public service. Um, uh, that was um, kind of in, in doing work in the community. That's been a kind of a through line of my whole life. Um, I played soccer. I loved I loved playing soccer since I was a kid. Um, I loved cars uh, and had a you know car magazine subscription since I was eight years old. And so I've always had a fascination with machines. Uh, uh, but you know, I think in many ways I was just sort of like a normal normal kid, you know, uh, yeah. enjoying friends and and 
um, procrastinating on doing my homework and, you know, things that I've like noticed in my own. But then procrastinated your way into law school, right? <laughs> yes, I procrastinated. And, and I procrastinated during law school. So yeah, during all, law school. All, all, all of that. <laughs> But then you you got your you you passed the bar. I think you you passed the bar in New York State. Yes. Uh, did you practice law then, or was it? No, I I um I I sat for the bar, um, and uh, and that was important to me. But I ended up um, moving from law school to the White House, um, and so I went into the administration after law school. Yeah. So talk about that. I mean, I just I I, I hold President Obama in just such high regard. Was it what, what what was it like being in the White House? What was it was the be, what was the best thing, the worst thing? What was it like? Um, I also hold him in very high regard. Uh, so, um, uh, I mean, the best thing really about the White House was um, the people and the mission. Everybody there was yeah. really oriented to making the country better which is a powerful that's a powerful motivator and a powerful um uh a powerful sort of team glue uh, to have if you have um really talented people who are also motivated to improve the country all working on a common mission um and uh as someone once said to me you know with the the um, the White House was a was a hard place to be in many respects, but um, uh, but you could do more in one day there than than arguably you could do in a whole lifetime outside. Um, and so um, it was a very um, you know I feel very blessed and humbled to have had that chapter um, and all the memories and relationships that come from that. Um, I mean, the worst thing was just the hours, you know, it was just relentless and it wasn't a, um, uh, it sort of never stopped and you didn't really have control over your calendar, uh, because world events would change it, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Now your job there was what was special assistant for public engagement. It sounds very cool. What does, what does that mean? Um, I was... Uh, part of the team focused on economic policy, on jobs and competitiveness. Um, and I oversaw the relationship for the president and the administration with the private sector. Um, so everyone from uh, Fortune 100 companies to um, startup founders to investors, um, really um, any issue that touched on jobs and competitiveness was in bounds, and that's a pretty broad um, remit. So everything from macroeconomic policy, um, taxes, and some of the stuff that's going on at the time of this recording, and hopefully not afterward, um, around the debt ceiling and the and all of that. You know that that was like part of what uh, I worked on back then. Um, but also healthcare reform and um, climate-oriented policy, and um, making sure companies were committing to hire um, uh, our veterans and military families. So you know, just a wide range of things. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. Did you go? Where did you go next? Um, I left the White House at the end of 2014, and, and then I. 
joined a company called Renovate America that was focused on financing renewable energy and energy efficiency improvements um, in people's homes. Now, was, was J.P. McNeil still there at that time? Yeah, he was the uh, he was the founder of the company. Yeah. Hey, I, I knew J.P. We, we put on the early pace conferences out in Palm Desert, I think. In the, oh, wow. The, the first the first two conferences uh, and I was a consultant for Palm Desert and then I was a consultant also for Sonoma County when we launched their energy independence program up there. But uh, uh, yeah, renovate renovate was was great. And and what what's up with now pace financing? Uh, what's your view of it of the current status of pace financing? Um, well, I mean, I think pace is a is was a really innovative um, idea of how do you um, start thinking about the machines in our homes as like part of the community infrastructure in a sense. Um, and the premise was that, you know, it, it was a, it was a government enabled means by which, um, uh, individual homeowner would be able to, um, finance, um, energy efficient and renewable energy improvements in their home with that obligation tied to the property and repaying it through their property taxes. The, the premise of the policy was that it would enable the incoming buyer to negotiate with the seller and they and the be part of the transfer of value. Um, but it was a really hard, it was a super innovative concept and like many innovative ideas, it was um, it was very hard to execute on um, because you had um, uh, sort of interests in, in the part of mortgage lenders and real estate, uh, the real estate industry that this was disruptive to their business model. Um, and in some respects kind of, um, uh, not seamless with what they were with, with what they did and what their roles were. Um, and then you had, um, a requirement that local governments enable it. And then you had, um, sort of a, a way for, homeowners had to like figure out how to access it. And so it ultimately was pretty hard to scale. Um, and I think it, it also had, um, uh, it also was, um, it needed to be sort of better designed in terms of it from, from a household perspective. And so what I kind of realized through all of that was this was the concept was really powerful in the sense of the machines that we rely on being really in a sense like part of our community infrastructure but the tool set of pace was not sort of like the universal answer to the to the sort of like to the need yeah. um it was maybe sort of like it's a one tool among many but not sort of the primary tool um, and so, um, so I left renovate, um, after, uh, a couple of years to kind of really like, think about that. Um, and that's ultimately what led me to electrification one as the solution to apply to households and three, um, to, uh, starting rewiring. And, and well put and, and rewiring, uh, very different than elect than uh, renovate renovate was in the financing uh, business and sounds like rewire rewiring is in the awareness raising business. Am I, is that, is that right? Yeah, well, we, we, um, 
we started rewiring in the summer of 2020 and we were very focused on, um, uh, you know, trying to answer the question of how do you go about electrifying um, uh, every, everything in the economy um, and really taking this demand side view, like from the perspective of the machines that we rely on. And just to put it in context, perhaps for your listeners, um, 42% of energy related emissions come from decisions people make around their kitchen tables, what kind of cars they drive, how they heat the air and water in their homes, how they cook their food, how they dry their clothes and where the power comes from all those things. That's a billion machines across 121 million households, um, which is a lot of machines, but they all need to be electrified over the next couple of decades if we're going to hit our climate targets. And so, uh, but, the, but the challenge that we have is that we live in this fossil fuel world. And so if someone's furnace conks out and they call a contractor, very likely the mode case is going to be that the contractor shows up with a machine on the back of their truck that's got a pipe sticking out of it, and it's designed to connect to a pipe sticking out of the wall in your house. And if at that moment in time, someone says, hey, how about a heat pump? Uh, the contractor might say, I don't know what you're talking about, or you can't have that, or I don't do that, or it'll be three months. And if you live where I grew up in Wisconsin and it's January, that is not going to be a great answer. Um, so, um, so we have to get off of this sort of market default. Um, and so the way that we thought about it from, from that perspective, when we started rewiring was we needed to shift the narrative to be about electrification because it had been really about sort of making gas and fossil fuel machines more efficient. Um, but you can't efficiency your way to zero. Uh, you can only electrify your way to zero emissions. Um, and so we wanted to A, shift the narrative and B, help create the policy uh, mechanism for um, uh, for it to, to start catalyzing the market transformation. And so a lot of what ultimately became the Inflation Reduction Act um, are policies that we worked on and shaped. Um, and so the way that we think about it is all of those kitchen table decisions are now backed up to a set of incentives um, that are available in the Inflation Reduction Act to make their make them easier to um, uh, make those electric decisions easier to make. Well, thank you for that. Really, thank you for that. Uh, what is the IRA uh, threatened at this point? No, no. Uh, in fact, the way I think about the IRA is that it is this big, big thing of electric potential. Um, and we have, um, uh, if you look at what the reporting is, the Congressional Budget Office um, has scored the Inflation Reduction Act at $369 billion. Um, but it's actually, of which about, you would say about $100 billion of that is for residential electrification alone, which is a big number. But actually, um, most of the incentives are uncapped. And so really, this relates to how much how much people are going to access what's available to them over the next decade. That will determine how much money is spent out of the Inflation Reduction Act, how much money comes to communities as a result, and how many households benefit. How, how did you decide, I love your description of the kitchen table decisions. I never heard of it 
frame framed up like that. But how did you decide? How did you decide to focus uh, electrify or rewiring America on the residential sector? I mean, you could have you could have gone off and said, "Well, we're going to be just working on boardroom decisions." You know, a lot of decisions are made around the boardroom table. But but your focus, I know, renovate the focus on on residential. But I, I guess that's your is that your passion is working with working with the people here. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's uh, first of all, um, uh, you know, that forty-two percent number is in of itself like a reason to be working on the residential market, um, and um, and um, and that and that and so in, and like I said a, a few minutes ago, it's it is the but for for climate. Like if we um, if we have if we don't electrify all those machines and kind of get to the end of the, of that story, we can't stay inside of two degrees warming, let alone, let alone one and a half degrees warming. Um, but the bigger thing was uh, in terms of focusing on the, on households is that if you take a poll in America, you will, it doesn't really matter who does the poll. If you take a poll in America and ask people, are they concerned about climate? You will get back a number that looks something like seven out of 10 Americans are concerned about climate. If you then ask them what they should do about it, the number one answer you get is that people will say they should recycle. And the number two answer you get is that people say they should stop eating meat. And neither of which have like, deep, deep, meaningful impact on emissions in the same way that these kitchen table decisions do. Um, and yet what the 70% of Americans, all Americans are basically told when it comes to climate is that either billionaires and geniuses are going to be the ones that figure it out and they're going to create some technology that will save us all from ourselves or take us to Mars, I guess. Um, you know, or in the alternative, that there's nothing we can do. Um, and we're just gonna have to adapt to this future. And so we thought there was something very powerful about what is a, a climate necessary set of solutions tied to a connection with people's interest in doing something. Um, and that in making that connection and facilitating people taking action is also a way to build civic and sort of um, citizen um, momentum toward, you know, kind of other solutions that we need to embrace and, and sort of in a way also building community between yeah. neighbors and, and colleagues. Nice, nice. Very much of an ecological or an ecology. What, what's the most challenging thing then about electrification right, right now? Do we, do we have technology for every aspect of electrification? Um, we do. Yeah, we don't have to invent anything. Um, I mean, the technology will get better. You know, cars will go further, EVs will go further. They'll um, they'll be even faster. They'll have you know they'll be cheaper. Um, similarly, solar has come down quite a lot in price over the years. It'll continue, um, but we have all of the technology that we need. We have the heat pumps for the air and water and the dryers. We have the um, induction cooktops, we have the solar, we have the storage, we have the cars, you know, we don't need to invent anything new. Um, so really the issue is one of awareness, um, as you mentioned earlier, um, and making sure people sort of 
are able to break out of this like fossil fuel feedback loop and, and make an electric decision. Um, and two, uh, really, it's just about the fact that we live in that fossil fuel feedback loop. And so the market is not equipped to efficiently deliver the electric outcome. Um, and so kind of getting people started yeah. is a big part of what the challenge is. But once you get someone started, um, it makes it a lot easier for them to keep going. Because as you electrify each thing, it's easier to electrify the next thing. Right. We really need the early adopters to step up here and to, to show off their induction cooktops and their, their heat pumps. I guess if you frame it the other way, which of the technologies would you say is the most challenging? Um, we put, maybe we put the biggest overall, overall overarching issue is a lack of awareness, the, the market not being primed for this. But which technology is the most challenging? Maybe the most challenging is the least cost effective. Um, so, um, I, it, <laughs> the answer to that is kind of, it depends. Um, because, um, as an example, if, if, um, if I live in Providence, Rhode Island, and I have a fuel oil home, which was my, where I first lived after graduating from college, um, getting a heat pump is absolutely right thing to it is going to save me thousands and thousands of dollars on my on my heating bills if i live in wisconsin um and um and have a gas um heated home um getting a heat pump can make sense um and will make sense over time but it might not be the first thing to do um, uh, depending on sort of where I live and how old my machine is and all the rest. And so I think the biggest thing is really, this is kind of our, our whole idea is that it's really about a household having a plan and doing kind of the, uh, the set of things that makes sense for them. Um, so, um, that's, that is really like what it ultimately comes down to. Um, and people have different motivations for stuff too. Some people, their motivation is I, the next thing I get has to save me more money. Um, and that's a motivation and that's going to dictate kind of what makes sense. Other people, their motivation might be, I need to have better stuff. Um, that's going to give me a better experience. Um, so it, it is ultimately going to be a consumer driven thing. Right. And so you, people will be going to your website. They'll be, they'll be getting onto this tool really that helps them prioritize based on their whole, their household considerations, the age of their equipment, the, their priorities in terms of uh, whether it's cost effectiveness or greening the planet. Uh, and, and out will come a, I guess you'll have a bunch of resources that, that sort of supports that decision-making and, and then an out will come a plan out of this, out of this tool. Yep, out of this will come a plan and eventually you'll be connected to, uh, uh, we'll have a marketplace of, of uh, contractors that you can access and, and, um, and, uh, and go talk to, would take a biddable proposal to them. And, and I guess you're gonna, you're, you must be having different strategies, like you can bundle together a number of measures, yeah. or you can just take a simple step <laughs> to get started with one. Exactly. Oh, that's very cool. That's great. Now, I, I, I want to leave you until we mention also your you've also got your purpose venture group uh, in your life. Uh, 
which I, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you're full-time with that and you're full-time with the rewiring. So you're working hard, I know. What is the, what is the venture group doing? Um, yeah, well, we incubated uh, rewiring out of Purpose Venture Group and Purpose Venture Group is, um, is an advisory firm uh, that is focused on working with um, growth stage companies and, um, and, and also with investors um, in the climate space and on sort of uh, uh, companies and that are focused on improving the social compact. Um, and so we are, it's a, it is an entirely mission oriented platform um, uh, that is, um, that is uh, solely focused on making those, um, those kinds of um, companies and plays better um, and more effective and successful. Um, and so it's a strategy firm that, um, that really, um, hones in, um, uh, importantly on the, not just the, how a company thinks about what they offer and how they go to market and how they map their path to growth. Um, but also from a strategic finance perspective, how they position themselves to best, raise their next round or deploy the capital that they've just raised. Um, so, you know, there's a big, we're sort of in this um, really important chapter, I think, when it comes to uh, climate in particular, where you have um, an explosion of interest and commitment and passion about moving into the climate space and addressing the climate crisis, which is awesome. You have an explosion of entrepreneurs and company formation that's going after these challenges and opportunities, which is awesome. But we have to get from the part of the story where we have an explosion of early stage activity to where we have scaled and mature solutions. And that navigation path um, is not easy. Um, and, um, and so if we can be helpful to, uh, to companies and entrepreneurs in, in doing that, that's going to help all of us. And that's what we're focused on. Didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Ari. We had a computer glitch and got disconnected before I could give him the softball question about how he maintains balance. He was just telling me, he was just about to pontificate about how he maintains balance. But I guess we'll have to get that in a future episode of Flanagan's Ecologic. Take care. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.